Good evening. Time to begin this evening. It's good to see y'all. We're going to start with Camping Toward Canaan's Land. If you would, please stand. I've left a land of bondage with earthly treasures. I journey to a place where there is love on every hand. I'll exchange the land of heartache for a land of pleasure. I can't be, I can't be in Canaan's happy land. Someday I can't be in the land of song tonight is probably new. Uh, it's Father. Anybody know this one? Besides Connie and Chris. Awesome. It's very easy. Uh, it, it just rolls through. It's, it's simple. It's an echo song. Uh, we're going to actually sing it through twice. Uh, get to know it a little bit better. I learned this song in Stumptown, Jerry.
reading that Chris has chosen for tonight's lesson is in Romans 5, verses 17 through 19. <clears throat> Romans 5, 17 through 19, and I'm reading the English Standard Version. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that, that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and the life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many more were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this Lord's Day that we could come together and worship you in spirit and truth without fear of any outside interference. We're thankful for the country we live in, the freedoms that we have. We ask God that, that you bless our leaders and help them to always look to you for guidance, Lord, to lead this country and to do your will, Lord, things that may be done may be blessed by you, your God. We ask you, Lord, to be with us tonight as, as we worship you, as we hear a lesson from your word. We ask you if, if, if there be any here that do not know you or have, have not claimed you as your Savior, that they will do so tonight. We pray, Lord, that when we leave here that we will be found worthy, Lord, to be called your children, that we may share the word of truth with those that do not know it. Once again, Lord, we, we, we thank of those that cannot be here tonight, those that are ill and those that are taking care of them. We ask you, Lord, to bless them and help them to return to us and, and give them comfort and peace, we pray, dear Lord. Dear Lord, we, um, we are thankful for everything that you've done in our lives and we ask you Lord to to bless us as we go, go throughout our different stations in life this week that we may, may take you with us and proudly proclaim your word and and hold up the name of Jesus Christ these things we pray in Jesus name amen long meditation this evening is 319 going that way. Mark that if you're going to use a book. And for the lesson, Wonderful Merciful Savior, would you stand please?
You remember that TV show? It's older. I'm probably back in the 70s. I watched reruns of it when I was a kid. It was called Bewitched. You remember that one? Samantha. And she was a good witch, but whenever she wiggled her nose, some magic happened, right? So the series title from this for this series is called Bewitched, but it's not after Samantha. It's from the book of Galatians. Um, in, in the book of Galatians, Paul says, Who has bewitched you, O foolish Galatians? They've, they've believed some other doctrine that is not the one that he delivered to them. And, and they've just bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. They've fallen into this, this doctrine. And Paul says, It's almost like somebody's wiggled their nose. And you just, you just believed it. Some magic has happened. And you just bought into this doctrine. And... and and now we have to do the cleanup work. And that's, that's really what the book of Galatians is about. The cleanup work that Paul's trying to do with them. This series is like that. We're trying to do some cleanup work. Uh, some false doctrines have gotten in, um, have, have gained a foothold in our world. And we ought to be aware of them um, in an effort to combat them. And in an effort to not allow them to sink down into us. Lest we too be bewitched, right? So one of the ones that we're going to talk about, and the one we're talking about tonight, is original sin. Was, was I born in sin? Were, were you born in sin? Let me give you a little bit of background, because this is an old doctrine. It's been around for quite a while. In fact, the guy that came up with it, his name's Augustine. If you know your history, especially if you know your church history, you're going to be familiar with this guy. This is Augustine of Hippo. He lived uh, 354 to 430, and so... During his lifetime, he comes up with this false doctrine of original sin, and it has taken off since uh, he came up with it. And we'll have a couple more quotes, uh, but this is what he says about it in his writings. Our nature, there transformed for the worse, not only became a sinner, but also begats sinner. <coughs> Excuse me. So he's, he's looking back at that episode that we looked at this morning in Genesis 3. He's saying at that moment, our nature, like who we are in our blueprints, something changed. Because of Adam's sin, something in our blueprints changed for the worst. And we not only became a sinner, but that sin, that, that sin became hereditary. You passed it down to your children. Adam passed it down to his children, who passed it down to their children, who passed it down to their children. And now we have, very quickly, the full-blown doctrine of original sin all the way back in the mid-350s. Uh, he also says this, From this condemnation, no one is exempt, not even newborn children. In another place he says, Unconscious infants dying without baptism are condemned by virtue of their inherited guilt. How far did Augustine take this, right? Is he talking about e even newborns? He would believe that they were condemned to hell if they had not been sprinkled, they hadn't been poured over. He, when he says baptism, he's not meaning I'm like, you know it. Uh, he's thinking more like the Catholics would think about baptism. So um, he would view that even newborn babies, if they had not um, been baptized, they hadn't been sprinkled, that they would fall uh, upon this condemnation. Because of the inherited sin. It wasn't, it wasn't their sin 
but it was the sin of their parents. And all the way back to Adam, they were carrying the whole load of everyone in their past. All that sin. Let me read you a couple more quotes. Because Augustine's um, teachings, his ideas, affected uh, the emerging Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is going to pop up right around uh, his time period. It, uh, Christianity is legalized in 325 at the Council of Nicaea. Um, and very quickly after that, the Catholic Church comes about because Constantine uh, is now the head of the church and the head of the empire, and he wants to run the church like he runs the empire. And so he starts um, putting one person over this area of churches and one person over this area of churches, much like he does in his empire with governors. Um, anyhow, Augustine is going to have a, a tremendous effect on the Catholic Church, especially with this doctrine of original sin. Uh, the catechism, in fact, for the Catholic Church declares, um, born, with a fallen born with a fallen human nature and tainted by original sin, children also have need of the new birth and baptism to be freed from the power of darkness and brought into the realm of the freedom of the children of God to which all men are called. You, you see there again in the Catholic catechism what Augustine is... Is, is talking about. Uh, the Augsburg Confession of Faith, that's the, the Lutherism, Lutheranism creed, uh, the, the creed that the Lutherans um, adhere to, um, that, that Martin Luther would have believed in. Uh, it says this, All men born according to nature are born with sin, that is, without the fear of God, without confidence towards God, and with lust. And that this original disease or flaw is truly a sin, being bringing condemnation and also eternal death to those who are not reborn through baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Westminster Confession of Faith in the Presbyterian uh, Book of Confessions says this, Our first parents sinned. By this sin they fell from their original righteousness and communion with God. And so became dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. The guilt of this sin was imputed. And the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity. It's hereditary, this, this, idea, that they're, this idea of inherited sin. They're saying it's hereditary. From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good. You, you can't think good because you were made bad. That's what they're saying. And wholly inclined to do to all evil, do proceed all actual transgressions. Um, later on in their document, they say, Every sin, both original and actual, doth in its own nature bring guilt upon the sinner, whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and curse of the law, and so made subject to death with all miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. So, that's, that's kind of the, the history of this belief. Start off with, with, uh, with our friend Augustine here in the mid-4th century or so. Uh, and it has continued all the way up until current day. Um, it's awfully hard to find a one of our denominational friends that doesn't buy into original sin. Um, so, all started with Augustine, but it has far-reaching consequences to, even to today. So, that's the history. Let's talk Bible for a second. Um, flip over to Ephesians 2. You're going to want to study this, this passage. 
should have made it a little bigger for you. Sorry about that. So Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, I want you to underline some stuff. I want you to make some notes uh, in your, in your uh, text there uh, so that when this comes back up, when you're studying this again, when someone asks you a question about original sin, you can go to Ephesians 2 because they're going to. They're, they're going, one of the passages they're going to take you to is Ephesians 2. One of the other ones might be Psalm 51, right? Where David said he was born in sin and in sin his mother conceived him. We're not going to talk about that tonight because we've talked about the past and you can go back and find that, uh, that lesson for yourself. I wanted to focus on different passages tonight. So Ephesians 2 is where one of the passages that we're going to we're study through tonight. <coughs> so here Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Underline that phrase, in which you once walked. Who's responsible for those sins? You are, right? He, he doesn't point back to Adam. He's not saying, and, and you see it in your scriptures too, right? I, I, this isn't just my translation, right? In your, in your Bibles, look at them, Ephesians 2, 1, uh, ver, verse 2 rather. It doesn't say you were dead in the trespasses that Adam had. It doesn't say that you were dead in the trespasses that your parents had, right? That, that's not the cause of your death. You're, you're dead because of the trespasses in which you once walked. You, you did these things. These, these are your sins. You're culpable for them. It has nothing to do with your parents. It has everything to do with you. You made a decision. So we need to underline that. Call attention to that when you're studying through these passages with your friends who believe original sin, ask, ask that question. What, what do you think Paul means by this, this statement here? H have you ever thought about that? Because you might want to think through that. Because it seems to me that Paul's saying <clears throat> that I'm the one who's responsible for my sins, not, not Adam. It's not like Paul ha has a lack of words here. It's not like he can't accuse Adam, if, if it were true, of passing down that sin. He certainly has the opportunity here. It's not like he... Can't uh, accuse our parents in this passage, if it were true, of passing down that sin to us. But that's not what he does. He accuses me of my sin. I'm dead because of the trespasses in which I once walked. It has nothing to do with, with my parents or my predecessors. So underline that text. Call attention to that, that phrase. So following the course of this world... Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You're going to want to underline nature, because that's, that's why they're taking you to this passage. They want, they want you to see that you were by nature children of wrath. And so what's the real... What's the real text there? What, what's he really getting across uh, by that word nature? Well, you can look it up. Um, the word you should look up, um, rendered nature in our common versions, can denote a mode of feeling and acting by which long habit has become nature. It's like second nature to you. Were, were you literally born like that? Those of you that played a sport when you were a kid, or maybe you play golf now, uh, sometimes maybe when you're sleeping, you can almost feel that swing, can't you? Right? 
maybe if you work a lot, uh, you have those work dreams, and you, you kind of wake up and you find yourself typing. Who's ever done that, right? These are things that are almost cause of prolonged habit nature to us, right? He's not saying you were born in sin. He's saying through prolonged practice of sin, it's become like second nature to you. This is not something your parents did. This is something you did and has done it so often with such great repetition that it's become almost like nature. You see the difference? There is a difference. So those things are, are helpful to point out to our friends that buy into original sin. So in your, in your uh, margin there, you might want to put down, um, underline nature and write down habitual practice. Because that, that's really what he's trying to get at there. Uh, and and that, the Greek bears that out, right? Go back and do this study. Don't, don't take my word. Go back and, and do this, this study on your own. And you'll, you'll find here that habitual practice is um, a faithful translation of that word. Especially when you consider the rest of Scripture. So, speaking of the rest of Scripture, let's talk about another section of Scripture that we need to deal with. It's in Romans chapter 5. Um, Dwight read part of this for us, but it's really a huge section of Romans 5 deals with this. Um, and we really probably need to start in verse 12. So, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Well, actually, it's back up to verse 1 because I want to get you to the context. Why is Paul telling us what he tells us in Romans 5, 12 through 19. Well, he's talking about justification. How do you know that? Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You keep reading, he keeps talking about how you're justified by faith. <coughs> Excuse me. So keep reading, down to verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, now, now we're really getting into it, aren't we? In verse 17, we really get into the thick of, of this particular argument. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. We'll get to verse 19 in just a second, but I just have a couple of questions about 17 through 18 so far. And you see them on, on the board behind me. Um, if everybody inherited Adam's sin, and that's, that's what our, our friends who will buy into original sin 
will say from this text. Paul, they, they, they say, incorrectly so, that Paul is saying that because Adam sinned, sin is now become hereditary. Seth had it, Cain had it, Abel had it, because Adam had it, and all their future generations have it. You have it. You were born with it because Adam had it. He opened the door and sin came in, and now it's part of our DNA. That's what they'll say. Here's the problem. If you take 17 and 18, Romans 5, 17 and 18, if you buy into the idea that condemnation, sin, was built into our DNA from Adam, then you have to say, you're forced, logically forced, to say that righteousness is now imputed to us because of Jesus' work. Everybody with me? It's a little bit of a, a logical fallacy here. So you say, they say that because of Adam's sin, sin was imputed to you. It was given to you, forced on you. You didn't have a choice. You were born with it. That's what they want you to believe from this text. If they're right, then logic demands, logic demands that Jesus' righteousness also be forced on us. What does that mean? What does that imply? Well, that's a concept we're probably going to have to talk about later on. Another false doctrine called universalism. And so everyone is saved. Whether you want it or not, you're saved. You can't go to hell. Hell's not a real place. God doesn't have that. He, 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 when you die, you just go to heaven. You don't pass go. You, you just, you're, you're saved. And there's nothing you can really do about it. No matter what type of life you live, you, you, you just go to heaven. Universalism, that's what this doctrine of original sin from Romans 5 would have to mean. And very few people, even our denominational friends, will buy into universalism. Uh, a big name pastor came out several years ago, probably what five, ten years ago now, um, with universalism. He was trying to um, prop it up, trying to trying to make a, a bigger name for himself um, by writing this book and, and talking about universalism. And he was castigated. Um, I, I think that was the last book he's written that I'm aware of, at least. Um, such great backlash because very few people believe in universalism. So if Adam's sin was imputed to me, if it was forced on me, you can't get away from the fact that so is Jesus' righteousness forced upon me. That's just not scripture, is it? It's not, right? Okay, that's, that's 17 and 18. Let's, let's take a second and deal with verse 19. Romans 5, 19 for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What makes you a sinner? Well, in Romans 5.19, they're going to say, Adam's sin made you a sinner. Is that right? Is that what the Bible teaches? It's not, right? But maybe it would help us as we think through how to answer this question. From Romans 5, 19, maybe it would help us, maybe it's more easy for us to think through a question like this. What makes you righteous? Now, there's a question we encounter quite a bit, especially in our circles, right? 
and, 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 and the churches of Christ, we, we're comfortable with that question. We know the answer to that question, right? What makes you righteous? Well, obedience to God's demands, right? I have to be baptized to, 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 to have salvation imputed to me, to, have, to be righteous. I have to, I have to obey. So what makes you a sinner? The exact opposite. Disobedience. It didn't have anything to do with Adam's sin. It didn't have anything to do with your parents' sin. It had everything to do with your obedience to righteousness or your disobedience to sin. One of those two pushed you into one or the other category. It didn't have anything to do with your genealogy or your or, your genes, it had everything to do with your actions. That's another one of the things you need to help your friends who buy into original sin when they take you to this passage, and they will take you to Romans 5, 17 through 19. Ask them that question, what makes me righteous? And help them walk through that, because that's a question you know the answer to. You know the answer to that question like that, right? Well, it's my obedience, right? That's what makes me righteous. And so then you, it's much, much easier for us then to flip it, flip the question and say, well, what makes me a sinner? Well, my disobedience to God's command it didn't have anything to do with Adam. It didn't have anything to do with my parents or, or their sin. It had everything to do with, with my actions, with my decisions, right? <clears throat> Those are a couple of the passages they're going to take you to. Give me a couple minutes and let's talk to about some passages you should take them to. Deuteronomy 24. <clears throat> 16, show the other side of the coin, right? So they're going to take you to passages like Ephesians 2, like Romans 5, and you're going to have these answers. You've got your notes in your margin now, and you're going to have these questions for them. You're not going to push them, but you're going to say, I've just got a question about this. And then after you ask your questions, offer to take them to a couple of passages and let them ask you questions about these and see see where this study goes. Deuteronomy 24, verse 16 he says, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one, check it out, each one shall be put to death for whose own sin? For his own sin. You're going to want to underline own sin there. It's, it's his own, own sin. It, it's personal responsibility. It, it doesn't have anything to do with his genealogy or who, what his parents did. He's, he's culpable, responsible for his own sin. Check it again. Oop, too far. James chapter 1, uh, verses 13 to 15 is another passage you might want to take your friends to. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, which would be what original sin is. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person, check it out, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Underline his own desire. This is, James is, is, is drawing our attention to, this is your responsibility. It's your sin that you're responsible for. You're not responsible for Adam's. Did Adam sin? Absolutely, right? No one's denying that. Did my parents sin? Absolutely. No one's denying that. Sin is here. But I'm responsible for my sin. So you can bring them to these passages like these. Uh, Ezekiel 18 is another good one to take them to. He says, the soul who sins shall die. Not, not Adam, not 
my parents, but the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father. In case you were wondering um, how, uh, if he was going to be oblique here, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. It doesn't go back in history, and it doesn't go forward into the future. Sin is an individual thing. I bear the responsibility for it individually. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. I don't get to be righteous for you. I don't get to be righteous for Kelly or my kids or my mom or anybody else. I get to be righteous for me, and they have to be righteous for them. Righteousness works the exact same way sin does. It's an individual responsibility. So maybe some of that stuff's been helpful for you uh, as you think through was I born in sin, or is there something else going on here? Maybe our culture's been a bit bewitched. Maybe somebody as Augustine and, and the Catholics and, and some of the other folks across history have, have waggled their nose, and all of a sudden, a huge portion of our population buys into original, original sin. But you know... Because you're a good student of the word, it's not the case. You weren't, you weren't born in sin. You've made decisions that have caused you to sin, and that sin does bring death, right? That sin does bring death. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, he would say that the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, right? His ears not dull, that he can't hear. He knows you're in trouble, and it's not that he can't hear you, and it's not that he's... Uh, his arm's too short to reach out and save you, but what's Isaiah say in 59, 1 and 2? Your, your sins, your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. This, this death, this, this is, is a, <clears throat> death is not always physical death in Scripture. Sometimes it's, it's spiritual death. It's a separation between you and God. So he says that's, that's what sin brings. It brings death. That's what it brought for Adam and Eve, right? It brought this separation between them and God, and ultimately, we're going to die physically, and then we're going to stand in front of God on the day of judgment, and we're going to have to account for our own sin. Not Adam's, but mine, yours. You'll stand in front of him on the day of judgment. When he comes back in the clouds, he's going to transport us into heaven, and you're going to stand there in front of him on the day of judgment and say, I have to give an account for why you acted, why you lived like you did. And you better hope and pray that you're inside of Christ because when he looks at those of us who are inside of Christ, he only sees Jesus. He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see all the, the messes that we've created and all the, 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 the hardships that we've, we've thrown on other people because of our sin. He doesn't see all that stuff. He only sees Jesus. And so you've got to get inside of Christ tonight if you're not being baptized into Christ, having your sins washed away tonight is the perfect moment to make that decision so that you can make your salvation secure tonight maybe you've already made that decision and you're struggling we want to aid you in any way we can if you have any need why don't you come as we stand and sing i've heard of the land of joy and
Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Um, life group news. Remember that life group three, that's Jeremy's life group, will meet for soup and sandwiches next Sunday after services. And life group four, um, that's Jerry's life group, will meet next Sunday after services um, up front. Also, uh, tonight is a high school devotional at the Parker's house. Uh, the van, I believe they're taking the van for that. Um, to Parker's house, so if you're wanting to go to that, you can ride in the van. Also, ladies' class um, has been canceled for tomorrow, uh, so no ladies' class tomorrow. This Tuesday's Young at Heart is still scheduled uh, at 10.30. Uh, next Friday is a youth event, uh, Nerf Battle, uh, here at the building for all ages at 6 o'clock. And February the 3rd, uh, that's a Saturday, is the cook, chili cook-off. Updates are on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus and Jim Martin and Jackie Hutchison in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatment. Keep uh, Friday Simpson in your prayers and keep Jim Haney in your prayers this week and keep Roger Kaufman in your prayers as well. And uh, keep the McAllisters and the Black family in your prayers the passing of Marvin's aunt. Uh, passed away last week. Uh, she was a member at Greasy Ridge Church of Christ. Funeral arrangements at Hall's Funeral Home tomorrow. Uh, visitations from 1 to 2 and the funeral after uh, visitation at 2 o'clock. That's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Close with number 658. Oh, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> jumping again. 658. Father, we're thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us for your son who came and died for each of us. We're thankful for the lesson we've had this evening and pray that you continue to bless Chris and David as their families work here with us. We ask, Father, as we're about to leave, that you give us all safe passage home and bring us back at the next appointed time. 
keep us in the hall of your hand. We ask your blessings on our sick and our shut-ins and all those that David just mentioned, and especially be with Brother Roger Kaufman. Go with us, Father. Bless us, forgive us, in thy son's name we pray, and amen.